Chicken wings. Yeah. That's it. Bring the worship team back up. (laughs) The good news. Chicken wings are the food of choice for Americans during the Super Bowl. Today, listen to this, today, more than 1.3 billion chicken wings will be consumed. That's astounding, right? That's four chicken wings per American. This all according to the National Chicken Council, which I am not making up as a real thing. So my question is, are your wings ordered? No? Have you, have you made preparations? Whatever it is that you're going to do for the game today. Have you, have you sent out the invites to people know where to go? Who is that group that you're going to get together with? And maybe the Super Bowl is not your thing. So, so who are those people that, that you celebrate with? Who is your circle? I recently read a sign that said this. It said, when you find people who not only tolerate your quirks, but celebrate them with glad cries of me too, cherish them. Because those are your tribe. Who is your tribe? Who is in your circle because our our scripture this morning has something to say about our tribes of people about our circles and it's the gospel reading from today's selection in the revised common lectionary and we're picking up in the in the gospel of Luke right where we left off last week in Luke chapter 4 if you recall Jesus is is back at home he's in Nazareth and he's in the synagogue on the sabbath and he's teaching But before we jump in, I think it's helpful just to share a few words about that Sabbath service. What would it have looked like uh, in that day, in Jesus' day, in his hometown, in this little synagogue, right, in their little home community? What would this service have looked like? And ancient documents kind of describe this service to us, uh, that the people would have gathered together and they would have uh, begun by reciting the Shema. And we've talked about exactly what that is in here. It comes from Deuteronomy and Even if you don't know it, you probably know it. You don't know you know it. That's it. But it's here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord with all your strength, with all your heart, and with all your might. And they would begin their worship service by reciting this. And then they would read some scripture from the Hebrew text. They would read a few verses from the law, from the Torah. Then they would read some from the prophets. And then a teacher would interpret. The teacher would sit down and he would say, or she would say what it meant, right? And interestingly, there really, in this day, there really weren't pros at this. There weren't hired people. There, weren't, there wasn't the synagogue person. It was one of you all would get up and give the interpretation. And so we can reasonably guess that you know, Jesus has come home. He's the hometown boy. And, and they know that he's been teaching. And so he's invited up to teach. And so that's exactly what we saw last week. In Luke 4, we saw Jesus reading from the book of the prophets. Reading from the book of Isaiah. In chapter 61. And I want, Amy, if you would, just pull up that, that first one. This is exactly what Jesus read, and we find this in Luke 4, but this is right from Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. He says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, 
and released to the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And last week, as we looked at this, Patrick pointed out that, that Jesus really kind of stops in this like strange spot. And so, Amy, I'd like to suggest another stopping place. Amy, if you'd bring it up and just add on just into verse 3, because he really doesn't say who he has come to release. Like, what captives has he come to set free? And so here it is, and maybe a more natural stopping place, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion. Those who mourn in Zion. That would have been referring to the people of the city of David, the people of Jerusalem, the people of Israel, Jesus' people, the people in the synagogue. But go back to the other one, Amy. This is what Jesus actually says. And he stops. And it says that he sits down and he begins to teach. You can clear that away. He sits down and he begins to teach. See, this was the posture of a teacher in the ancient Near East. They would sit and begin to teach. And that's where we're going to pick up in Luke's gospel today in chapter 4, beginning at verse 20. He finishes reading and it says that he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant. And he sat down. The eyes of all the synagogue were fixed in on him. And then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb. Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do here also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did in Capernaum. And he said, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah. When the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine all over the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them were cleansed except for Naaman, the Syrian. And when they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our scripture this morning is this series of interactions between Jesus and the people. His people. His hometown, the people that he grew up with, people that knew his parents. They knew Mary and Joseph. And here in this passage, Jesus speaks and the people react. First, proudly. And then, by trying to throw him off of a cliff. Did you catch that? (laughs) Let me say that again. Jesus reads this this first piece of scripture and they react warmly. The, The scripture tells us, it says that they spoke well of him and that they were amazed. I think we can identify with that. I think we like to see people we know in the spotlight so that we can claim them. 
Later today, as a part of Super Bowl programming, you may see an interview with Tom Brady. And and the gentleman doing the interview, his name is Jeff Darlington. And Jeff went went to the University of Florida with me, and he was uh, uh, in my fraternity. We were about a year apart, and and we were friends. And, you know, look, we, we don't do Christmas together. We're not hanging out on the weekends. We may bump into Home Depot from time to time. But I love telling people, I know that guy. Right? There's just something about when we see people that are, that are up in front that we can say, look, I know that person. And so that's what we see uh, right here. Uh, we see these people doing just that. They say, hey, that's Joseph's boy. I remember him. And while they praise him, Jesus says, in effect, I'm not so sure that you heard me. And so he sits down and he begins to teach. And when he does that, they move from praise to murderous mob. So, so what happens? What, what is it in those few passages that Jesus teaches that moves his people from adulation into craze. This dynamic that moves a crowd of people, his people, presumably his circle, into wanting their own homegrown Jesus dead. Um, I think it's easy to miss. I'm a pretty uh, terrible chess player. I don't know why you would know that, but now you do. I'm a pretty terrible chess player. When I was in high school, I, I tried to learn. And, and, you know, I know generally, like, how the pieces move. I know what each one does. And I know some, some basic strategy. But I always had this flaw in my game. Uh, I would get so wrapped into my own strategy. Partway through the game, I would think that I could see a way to checkmate. And, and I would begin to move my pieces into place where I felt like they needed to go. And I would be blinded by my opponent's counter moves. And before I knew it, I had moved one of my pieces into a, uh, a, 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 what do I want to say, a vulnerable space, right? Into a place where all of a sudden my queen gets taken, or I put myself into check, and I would lose because I was so focused on my own expectations for how I saw the game playing out. We see that today in our scripture. These people, Jesus' people, are hearing him read from Isaiah, and they know in their minds who the prophecy is for, who God has come to set free. It's them. God's people, the people of Israel. But that's not what Jesus says. He stops short of that, and then he begins to teach He explains, and he gives these two references that come out of kings. He tells these two stories about Elijah and Elisha. One from 1 Kings and one from 2 Kings. And, and the first story goes like this. There's this, there's this widow that is in Sidon. She's, in, in, in a, she's a Phoenician, right? a Sidonian. And Elijah goes and helps her. He gets her food. In fact, we see Jesus makes it really clear in this story. When we read in verse 25, he says, But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel. But Jesus, he went outside the circle, and he helped this Sidonian woman. 
And again, this story of Elisha helping a Syrian. And Jesus is very careful to make sure we understand there were also many lepers in Israel in that time. And yet Elisha went outside the circle to help Naaman, the Syrian. In effect, Jesus is telling these people, Jesus is telling his people that God is not only concerned with you. God is also concerned with people outside our circle. So here was Joseph's son, their boy, a known quantity, saying something unexpected, confusing and frankly insulting enough to move them to murder. Because these people, they say, there's plenty of suffering in our circle of people, and God's going to go outside it? Let me put this in another way to help you perhaps um, relate to this feeling. These people, they showed up at the synagogue, at their place of worship, from their work week, from all that was going on back home, maybe from a troubled marriage, they showed up at the synagogue to hear a word of hope. From their financial troubles, they showed up at the synagogue to hear a word of hope. From all of their problems, they showed up at the synagogue for a word of hope and hear this person, this guy that was supposed to be one of their own, begins to tell them that God isn't as concerned with their problems as they perhaps thought. God is going to help other people. What expectations do you bring into worship with you? What is it that you come here hoping to hear? And in some way, does that ever prevent you from hearing what God really has to say? These people in the synagogue, they, they'd drawn their circle. What circles are we drawing? Are we drawing circles of inclusion or are we drawing circles of exclusion? In my own journey of faith, as God continues to work in me, I have found that the circle is always bigger than I think it is. This morning, I want you to hear if you have ever felt like the circle has drawn you out? It hasn't. Jesus looks at you and says, I came for you too. He says, I've come to bring good news to the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to the captives, and freedom to the prisoners, period. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. 